Hello and welcome to the October 16th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. So we are looking at possibly a week, maybe longer, maybe less. I'm not exactly sure when the last time was that Mr. Joe recorded a podcast episode, but it's been long enough, I will say that, and there are going to be times, and I've explained this before, that Mr. Joe will be out and about um, based on my work schedule. It will never be anything but that. Now, it's quite possible, and I don't know if I actually said this, but one of the things that I would have said or would have meant to say, and I almost am positive I said it before my very last trip, before the one that I took while I flew out of state this past time was I said I'd have plenty of time to record an episode while I'm in my room. Plenty plenty of time. Not a whole lot to do other than um, do my work during the day. So at nighttime, it would be relatively easy to come back, do a recording, stick with my audience, and be sure to keep Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast flowing. Now, the trip I took a couple of weeks ago, that was impossible. Um, work was just extremely overwhelming, and by the time I got back to my hotel, it was very late, and I was unable to stay awake and record an episode. Now, it was a little bit different this time around. And as a matter of fact, it was a lot different this time around. And while my nights were taken up, with quote-unquote work. The work that I did was a bit of a different job, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to first get to some of the feelings that I had leaving for this particular trip. Now, keep in mind, Mr. Joe tries to keep it under wraps in terms of where I am located, and many of you have taken a ponder or taken a guess or whatever you want to call it as to where I might be recording from, where is Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and being that I traveled to the Midwest over the last couple of days, in particular two different states, and one of the things that was brought up probably as many times in a day that people bring up the fact that my youngest son looks exactly like me and is the spitting image of me, which is a thousand times a day. Um, Maybe even more times was I approached by people, women in particular, as they commented on my accent. So don't let it fool you. While Mr. Joe does have an accent, I can tell you one thing. I'm not from the Midwest. Um, And obviously you know that now by me saying that I got on an airplane and I traveled to the Midwest. And again, I was in two separate locations, uh, both for my company. But apparently Mr. Joe has quite the accent. Before I flew, I was not in 
in the best mood in terms of taking off to leave my family. I really didn't want to. I really didn't want to go away. I have a fear of flying, not of getting in an airplane. That doesn't bother me. But anything that is out of my routine is very hard for me to deal with. Uh, I, I sit and stew over things that might go down a couple of weeks from now. Now, as long as they are within the realm of what I am used to, I'm fine with it. But something like flying, you know, that's something very different for Mr. Joe. I haven't done in quite some time. So, you know, I'm worried about the process. I'm worried about being late. I'm worried about, I mean, as far as I'm worried about where to look up on the plane for my seat that matches my ticket, which, by the way, I got wrong the very first time didn't matter because the plane was empty and I was able to sit in any one of the A, B, C, or D sections, but I got it wrong nevertheless. I figured it out halfway through. I wasn't extremely excited about leaving before I left. However, when I got to the airport, I realized one thing, that leaving your family, as much as you might miss them, and I don't know if this is a bipolar thing or if it's just a human being thing. But I sensed, well, not sensed, I felt a sense of freedom that I haven't felt in many, many years. And I, I have to be very, very cut and dry about this and, and help you to understand that the, the feeling of freedom that I felt had nothing to do with being away from my wife. Because regardless of what I felt like while I was at the airport, or while I was away on this quote-unquote business vacation, nothing is going to compare to me leaving my wife and my children. I'll always choose being with them, no matter what the situation might be. So when I say a feeling of freedom, here's what popped into my head, and this is more about being an addict than even being bipolar. I felt like I was leaving a place and arriving to a place where nobody knew me. I didn't have to answer to anybody. I didn't have to be good for anybody. Completely forgetting about the fact that the, the reason why we maintain our sobriety and stay away from drugs and alcohol, especially when we're medicated and have bipolar disorder, is for ourselves and for the idiotic, disgusting ways that one might act when they do get intoxicated, or they do get high, or they do use cocaine, or snort Oxycontin. These are the reasons why we stay away from it, because, because of our actions in terms of when we used to abuse those drugs, especially when you have bipolar disorder. But I felt that feeling of freedom. It didn't mean anything. And I walked by a, a bar at the uh, airport, and I saw somebody drinking very early in the morning. <laughs> I said, whoa, I can't believe this man is drinking. But then again, you know, 15 years ago, that might have been Mr. Joe, but it wasn't. Now, got on the plane. I arrived in my location about 3 o'clock. And just so everybody understands, the first two hours... I arrived at a place of business that I am overseeing from a distance, obviously, from another state, part of the plants that I oversee. And I, I got to tell you, it was magnificent. I, 
I wish I could explain more about what I laid my eyes on, but it was absolutely magnificent, nothing that I've ever seen in my life. As a matter of fact, unfortunately, I was sent there with the sole intention of firing two people. And just for the record, I left and didn't fire them. And I will be talking. My direct supervisor is the owner of the eight different companies or plants that he owns throughout Mr. Joe's neighborhood. He owns different places all over Mr. Joe's neighborhood. He owns a couple in another state, one in another state. The man is just unbelievable, and he has me opening up and overseeing five new plants in addition to two other ones in different states. He's my direct supervisor. I don't have anybody above me other than the owner of these businesses, the, the CEO, if you will, the, the owner and operator of all these businesses. And I have to tell you, or this business, or this organization, I have to tell you, I mean, he was the first person I called, obviously. He's the only one I really check in when it comes to these things. And I had to explain to him that they're doing everything right at this particular place. As a matter of fact, I'd like to model some of my plants out here after them. That's how wonderful they're doing. And there are other things that come into play in terms of the monetary situation, why he's not happy. And I'm not going to get into that because it would be quite boring for everybody, especially not knowing what I'm speaking about. But the first two hours, uh, two and a half hours, was all business. And you got to say to yourself, all right, two and a half hours, that puts us at about 5.30. And once the quote-unquote business wrapped up, there was myself, one other female from my organization out in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and we were meeting with the CEO of this particular plant, as well as one of the directors from this plant. CEO is a man, director is a woman. Now, the director would also be with us the following day when we traveled to another state. So I would be spending my time with these two women for the majority of my stay there, if not all of it. But that particular night, the male figure was going to go out with us. And when I say go out, it was just, hey, you know, we're here. We're all business partners. Let's, let's go uh, have dinner. That's what you do. When you're a business partner, when you're co-workers, especially co-workers from other states, part of the same organization. Let's go out to dinner. So we went to a relatively local bar slash restaurant in which you did not have to sit at the bar, which I was thankful for. Didn't have to sit there. Could sit at a table. So we all sat down, and the first thing that happens is the female, and we'll call her Lee, okay? Lee, from the other state, looks up and she says, look at that chalkboard. They got all kinds of different beer here. I, I didn't recognize one single beer. I said to myself, man, where's the Heineken? Where's the Corona? <laughs> um, you know, not that it mattered, but I didn't recognize any of them. And then it dawned upon me that even though it didn't matter whether or not they had beer that I liked, it was going to matter in a matter of five seconds flat. Because as Lee and, 
let's call him Jay, Lee and Jay, and Jenny, Lee, Jay, and Jenny started ordering beers. They turned to me and they said, well, what do you want? And I looked at the three of them, and the words that should have come out of my mouth were, I'm just going to have a soda, I'm going to have a water, or, you know, I'm not drinking tonight. I'd like to be, you know, feeling good for tomorrow morning, you know, make sure that I'm on for what we have to do. We do have to wake up at 6 a.m., travel to another state. It's an hour and a half drive. I've got to be sharp for tomorrow. But instead, Mr. Joe's answer was, well, I don't see anything up there that looks like Heineken. <laughs> so what transpires then is bartender comes over and one of them says he likes Heineken what do you have and he starts spewing out all these things well this one is comparable to Heineken this one has a bit of a uh, more of a, a bite to it at the end and I'm, as he's describing these beers honestly everybody my mouth is watering because that's what an alcoholic does I'm saying oh my god they're all sipping on their beers and let's face it, at this point, Mr. Joe knew. Mr. Joe knew that I was going to engage, based on the peer pressure, of which really was non-existent. Nobody said, you need to drink. The fact that they were just out there drinking and asked me what I wanted, it made me, it made me give in. It made me give in. So, I drank a beer, so we could absolutely say that Mr. Joe relapsed. I drank another beer, and another beer, and another beer, and another beer. As a matter of fact, I may be even short the number of beers that I drank. I don't know how many beers I drank. Got into the car, I was not driving, came back to the hotel, said goodbye to Jay, said goodbye to Lee, because Lee was picking us up the following morning. She happened to live in the state that we were in, and she would be picking us up from the hotel and driving us to our next event in another state. So, goodbye, Lee. We'll see you at 6 a.m. And I did the smart thing, and I went back to my hotel with my Jenny uh, co-worker and got in the elevator. She was on the second floor. I was on the third floor. It was about 9.30 now. And we said goodnight, gave her a hug, said I'll see you in the morning, get up nice and early. Somewhat stumbled back to my room, and I said to myself, you know what, I didn't even have time to empty my suitcase, which by the way, I was made fun of the entire trip for wanting to iron all the time. I never knew how obsessive-compulsive I was about clean clothes and uh, neat clothes and always wanting to look presentable, I guess you can call it, and wanting to iron all the time, but that's what I wanted to do, and it was brought to my attention that that's pretty much all I talk about. So I said, I didn't even unpack, and, and the, real, the reality of this hotel stay is we're going to another state tomorrow. We have another hotel that we're going to check into, so really all I have to do is iron my clothes for tomorrow and be prepared. And by the way, I was able to fit in the ironing upon arriving at 3 o'clock. I believe we arrived at 2.30, and we got a ride to the place of employment um, by 3 o'clock. So within that half hour when I had gotten off the plane, I had ironed my clothes to be prepared for the bar visit 
bar slash restaurant visit. But anyway, back to the the nighttime ironing. I said, I got to get my clothes ready. And I ironed, and I was drunk. I wasn't wasted, which was indicative to me that it was it was still a situation where, man, do I have some kind of a tolerance? Because if I haven't drank in this many years, and I'm I'm not bombed off of let's say four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, you're just an alcoholic. You're a downright alcoholic, and it should have stopped there, but it didn't. Mr. Joe finished up his ironing, got out of his clothes, got into what we call our PJs. I was ready to pull down the covers, get into bed. By the way, I took my medication about two hours late. And as I pulled down the covers, I said, wait a second, there's a bar downstairs. I pulled back the covers, put the clothes back on that I was wearing, and like a complete, utter, alcoholic, addicted wackadoo, went back downstairs and hung out at the bar until after midnight. (laughs) Now, Mr. Joe has always been very honest with everybody, and I would never have it any other way. And I am so sorry if for those of you who are looking at Mr. Joe as, I don't want to use the word role model because I'm certainly not a role model to anybody, but looking at Mr. Joe as somebody who's been there, done that, and is now living this sober lifestyle and able to battle the demons and the addictions and stay sober, I'm sorry. I could get on this podcast and tell you that I behaved myself throughout my work trip, but I didn't. So I I just have no choice, and I don't think you would appreciate that as my audience. And I'm hoping that we could take this experience and just go with it. And you guys learn from this, learn how vulnerable we are still, no matter how many years of sobriety we have under us. And to be honest, the last time that I quote-unquote relapsed, if everybody remembers, was a fantasy baseball draft at my home in which I had one beer, possibly two, I took a couple of hits of a joint and I was like a madman on my podcast afterwards. I was so I was so heartbroken about the things that I did. And I got a lot of emails, people telling me, Don't worry, it happens. Well, it happened again. And Mr. Joe was out at that bar like a complete wackadoo. I had to be up at six AM well, really I had to be up at five thirty AM in the car by six um, I went through this this work event like a complete zombie in the beginning and by the way I made a correlation now that alcohol without a doubt affects my contact lenses or at least my eyes and what I mean by that if I drink alcohol the next day my eyes are so blown up and hurting and it's almost like I have Uh, an eye infection. I don't know what happens, but I can't get my contact lens in. And you say to yourself, well, Mr. Joe, if that happened on the first day that you had to work after the one night of drinking, well, how on earth do you know that? How could you compare it to anything? Well, I can because that night after the work event, Mr. Joe went out again. I said to myself, well, And this is the thought process of an addict. 
You already broke your streak last night. You might as well go for round two. Keep it alive. And at this point now, I'm feeling good. I go out to dinner with Lee and Jenny. Beautiful restaurant. And let me just give you a little quick synopsis of what we polished off. Polished off delicious dinners, three people, polished off two bottles of red wine. Thank God it wasn't three, because then I would have said to myself, my good God, we all polished off a, a bottle of wine. And, uh, but we didn't. We, we polished off two bottles of red wine between the three of us. And then the ultimate statement came from Lee, who happened to know the area very well, said, all right, guys, now it's time to go to our first bar. So we started walking. And I got to tell you, you know, off this wine, I'm definitely buzzed now. I'm buzzed. And I got no regard for anything. I don't care that I'm supposed to be clean. Don't care that I haven't taken my medication again. You know, I'm going to be late again, depending on what time we get home. So we go to our first bar. And there is no other way to describe this to my audience other than to say, Mr. Joe sat at this bar, and there was a band playing actually country music and I had never really gotten into that before but I have to say they were phenomenal or maybe they were phenomenal because I had beer after beer after beer after beer after beer I don't even know how many beers I had and then Mr. Joe who felt as if he was peer pressured into doing all these things and let's face it guys this is Although, again, nobody is forcing me to do these things, to some extent, it, it is the peer pressure that we all are involved with, or the co-worker pressure, um, the, the, the adult pressure that we are faced with a lot, depending on where we go, what we do, and what our employment is, and you know, how we spend our nights. We are going to be faced with these things, but Mr. Joe has not been faced with them for a very long time, or at least I've never been faced with them in a way where I am out of state with no responsibilities other than to do what I need to do in that other place and that other time. And it felt for me like it was just a removal from Mr. Joe's neighborhood and a go for it, you know, you do it, rah, 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 this is your time to be a complete dirtbag. So what turned into what was originally peer pressure then turned into Mr. Joe after having nine zillion beers at this first bar. I now became the peer pressurer, if that's a word. And now it's, we're going to another one. Well, we got to get up early, Mr. Joe. I don't care. Tell me where another one is. So we got up, walked out, and we went to our next bar. And I had beer after beer after beer and it didn't stop there the only good thing that i can say is the band from the previous place showed up at this bar and one of them reeked like marijuana and me like a drunk fool said something you know in my slurring who smells like marijuana you know and he said up oh, that must be me and he offered me to smoke and i denied it whoop-de-doo I only denied it because I said to myself, if I smoke with all this alcohol in my system, the room is going to instantly start to spin, and before you know it, I'll be hovering over a, a toilet bowl asking God for forgiveness. 
Um, so I decided not to do that, but we met a group of women who were very taken back by our job responsibilities and what we did for a living. And the next thing you know, they're buying us rounds of shots. And at least my coworkers, especially Jenny, because at this point, Lee had already stopped drinking. Not, not even a beer, maybe a sip from mine here and there. Jenny turns around and says, I'm not doing that. So what does Mr. Joe do? He does his shot and he does hers. Why not? Why not? So we left. I don't know what time it was. Got back to the hotel. And I guess here's what really threw me off. Because when I arrived back, all of a sudden all my emails started coming through. And one in particular came through from my ex-wife. Now... I had instructed her that upon Friday coming home, I would be a little late and just to please drop the kids off with my, my, my wife and I'd be home shortly after that. Well, in response to my email, she was an absolute witch. And she turns around and says, says something along the lines like, I assumed you weren't seeing them this weekend. So no, I'm not dropping them too bad. I need more money. I want more money for child support. You're a bum. You're a loser. I mean, guys, I have never missed a weekend with my children in my entire life. So what would make a woman assume this? Well, at the end of her horrible, disgusting email, she went on to say, I have an obligation to school because she decided to go back to school to better her career which she's done, by the way, three times already, and none of it's panned out. So I say to myself, what the hell is that my problem for? You have an obligation to get my children here by a family court of law that has, and not only that, by $28,000 that I had to pay to make sure that you drove my kids one way, which, by the way, originally I didn't even care. I'd pick them up and drop them off. But because she cost me so much money, in the end, my lawyer said, well, you might as well fight for what your rights are, which I did. And now all of a sudden, we are now at our second week in a row where my ex-wife is basically in contempt of court. So now I'm in the airport. Now, forget that. Before that, before I went home, I spent the entire evening after I got home, drunk as a skunk, writing my my ex-wife email after email as to why she was wrong and a witch and all that stuff, and woke up the next day, by the way, and there's my statistical evidence because my eye was a disaster again. This time it was the opposite eye, so there's no doubt that drinking has a correlation into my eye. Um, because I just could not see. I couldn't put my contact lens in. As a matter of fact, half the work day that I spent, I had to walk around with one contact lens out. You would think that there was something wrong with me. I mean, really. So here I am at this place where I have to talk to hundreds of people, and literally, I, I, I can't even see. It depends. If I'm staring at a person from the wrong angle, I actually couldn't see them. So I'd have to turn my head, and it was my right eye that day that was messed up, so I turned my head to the right just so I could zone in on them with my left eye that happened to be working for that particular day. And these are the repercussions of me being a, it's a disgusting animal. So then I get on the plane, it's time to go, and, you know, unfortunately, the entire 
time waiting for my flight and my connecting flight and all that stuff. I'm doing nothing but getting text message after text message from my ex-wife speaking about things from 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You're disgusting. My dad lent you money back in 2005. I'm saying to myself, dear God, this can't be real. That's why I'm not dropping them off because you borrowed $1,000 from your daughter's bank account when you had to get a car and you never paid her back. Meanwhile, I got the money and more in my own bank account. She's not getting that. I made my own bank account for my daughter now with her, with us. I've been down this road already with you guys in my podcast. I mean, guys, things that were just completely inaccurate and wrong and talking about my wife saying you're pathetic, you're both pathetic. I mean, just on and on. You know, you left us for another woman. I, I, it was absolutely, and that's her reasoning as to why she's not taking my children to me. After being away from me now for six years, she decides on these last two weekends, oh, and in the end, and it's because I have an obligation to school. Well, that's not my problem, lady. Now, I threatened her so badly, and she knew I was serious because I am going to court. And I am going to hold her in contempt of court for not following the visitation uh, agreement. So that will be done. And she knows that I'm, I'm not playing games because the next day, Saturday, she made sure that my children were at my home. She drove them. Now, they didn't get to my house until God, I don't even know what time. must have been 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock. And we decided to do um, some Halloween stuff, which... You know, ended up being a very... Actually, no, we did that Sunday. We couldn't even do it Saturday because, I'm sorry, she got the kids to me by 4 o'clock. I mean, the woman is just a complete, utter disaster. So she took what I thought was a nice trip at the time, which now, talking about it via my podcast, I realized I was nothing but a loser, and destroyed my entire trip on the way home, giving me complete anxiety, taking away every bit of confidence I had in terms of flying, because, man, now Mr. Joe's got this down pat. He flew here so he could fly back. Well, I was a nervous wreck. I had to take a half a clonopin. It was an absolute nightmare. And on top of it all, while my ex-wife is texting me, I got my kids crying to me, saying, I can't believe it, Daddy, we're not seeing you again. So all of it, very, very, very sad, very sad situation. And I don't think this has anything to do with bipolar disorder. And I started out by saying that originally when I started recording this in my introduction. I think it has to do with the fact that we are, a good number of us, like I said, addicts. And it doesn't matter how much clean time we have under our belt, how sober we've been for how many years it's been, Clearly, it doesn't matter, because if there was anybody who I would put my faith in, in terms of keeping that streak alive and never, ever, ever having a drink again, it would have been Mr. Joe. And that feeling is absolutely gone, obviously, now, because, yeah, I could start a new streak, but what happens Next time this happens, next time, I'm going to have to go away again. I mean, the second night, by the way, I talked about taking my medication late the first night, and it would be taken late the second night as well. Well, guess what? I woke up the next morning, and when I went to take my medication for the morning, I realized that I had never taken my medication the night before. 
So I missed my medication as well. Nothing good came out of what went on this past uh, couple of days of work. The only thing that really went on is now my co-worker, who I happen to be at the same office location with, is like, man, Mr. Joe, he's such a good time. He parties. Uh, I'm, oh, my God. This is what I've done to myself. So, you know what? I mean, if anything, at least if there's peer pressure again, I could turn around and say, well, you know, I'm not really drinking tonight. I drank that night, but I'm not really drinking tonight. And nobody could turn around and, and say anything to somebody if they just decide and choose not to drink, obviously. Nobody could say anything if I turned around and said, Hi, I'm an alcoholic, and I don't drink, and I'd like to stay away from that, and give me a water or give me a soda. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So I am just as vulnerable as everybody out there. You know, and God's honest truth, had somebody been in the bathroom when I walked in, snorting cocaine, God only knows what I would have done. And that's why that alcohol is such a gateway to those other things because if I wasn't drunk, I would wa I walk into urinal, uh, urinals um, and bathrooms, restrooms all across uh, the United States. I don't walk in looking for cocaine. I don't go into my local um, Walmart and knock on the bathroom door and say, hey, are you snorting in there? You know, share some with me. No, because I'm not drunk. But when you're drunk... You're always looking for something to get you a little more high. Now, while I wasn't searching, it did cross my mind, and I would have liked it, and I don't know what I would have done. Because you don't care. At that point in time, you're saying to yourself, well, I'm up anyway. I'll just get an hour of sleep, two hours of sleep. I'll be able to function. I'll be able to function on cocaine. So, that's the story, everybody. That's the story. Mr. Joe has relapsed and relapsed in a pretty bad way. And I will be uh, keeping everybody posted on where I'm at. I'll tell you this also. I'm an absolute manic maniac today. Maniac. Running around the office, making jokes, talking to everybody, being friends with the whole world. So, I don't know where we stand, everybody. But I do know this, that it's been a long weeks away from my audience. And... I never knew m this much that I needed everybody so much in my life. I mean, and I, obviously I'm re referring to you out there. Never realized how important this was to me and how thrown off I become when I don't have this podcast in my everyday life. And how vulnerable we are if we don't have something to latch on to, somebody to guide us, somebody to talk to, somebody to listen to. Without it, we're all vulnerable. With it, we're all vulnerable, obviously. So, you know, I ask all of you out there to learn from me and realize that nothing good came out of this. Nothing good. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm mortified. I'm embarrassed to my audience. And I'm sorry. I actually am. I'm very, very sorry. So I hope you accept my apology and stick with me. And stay on this journey with me and understand that this is something now for those of you who are still using or abusing alcohol or drugs. Well, you know what? I'm starting over with you. So take the journey with me. And for those of you who remain clean and sober, learn from my experience. And don't do what Mr. Joe did in this particular situation. Stay clean.
In closing, I'd like to say, if you are living with a mental illness right now and you're doing well, I ask you that you continue to work hard. If you know somebody or love somebody that is living with a mental illness or an addiction, for that matter, I ask you to continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness or an addiction, I ask that you continue to fight, continue to battle, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Have a great day. Hello and welcome to the October 19th, 2018 edition of Mr.